Hello and welcome to the Greenhouse Church Podcast. My name is Benj Gould and I'm the lead pastor. We are all about creating an environment where anyone can follow the way of Jesus. So we hope that this teaching helps you on your way. Thanks for telling everyone that I was angsty. Mum, I don't know why you were turning to Josh and asking, was I angsty? Like, you know that I was an angsty teenager. (laughs) Rose-coloured glasses. Keep those on. Thanks, Mum. Oh, hello. Sometimes things don't exactly go as we expect them to. And that has been very true for me this weekend. So... We're currently house-sitting for Josh's uncle in Terrigal, living the high life on the beach. And um, I, was, I was keen because when we were younger, Josh used to house-sit for them. And it was amazing because it was like time away from our parents, for starters, like in a different space. Got to hang out with a cat that was not my own. And Josh did all of the work with the cat, so that was great. It was like, you could just stroll down to the, this fan's hectic. <laughs> you just stroll down to the beach, go get some food, some coffee, fancy house, giant TV. They've got like towel warmers, like the towel racks that warm up, like pretty crazy. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to go live in luxury this weekend. And we get there and um, I realised house-sitting actually sucks when you have your own home that you have made your own and you love and you're going into someone else's space. It's really not that cool anymore. (laughs) Um, And to make it worse, like, these cats just suck. I'm not going to lie. They are so privileged and pompous. They drink filtered water from the fridge, refilled twice a day. They have four kitty litters that must be, like, scooped out at least twice a day, and one of them still poops on the floor. I didn't pack very well for this house-sitting adventure. I, I don't have my makeup. I'm wearing Josh's socks. They're very uncomfortable. I can't be sure that they match. It's been a terrible weekend. <laughs> it has not been up to my expectations. And so that's life. Sometimes things don't happen quite as we expect. And so today uh, I want to look at how Jesus wasn't quite what some of the first century Jews expected him to be. He was better, but they didn't really think so at the time. Uh, I'm not going to lie, we're all friends here. Uh, I can be honest with everyone. I found this message very hard to write. Uh, This is my third working title. I changed directions multiple times. Uh, I was still finishing it off this morning uh, when I got here. (laughs) And that is not how I like to do this. This is not, so I'm uh, definitely relying on Jesus. But through all of it, um, the common theme that I found was that sometimes we get this whole following Jesus thing a bit wrong. And who knows, some of the things I say and some of the conclusions that I've come to today might also be a bit wrong. Obviously, I hope not. Uh, But thankfully, even though sometimes we get it wrong and even though the people in this story maybe got it a bit wrong... Uh, Jesus went to the cross anyway. 
He rose anyway. There is grace anyway. And there is always the invitation to try again. So Jesus, I I thank you for that constant invitation to come to you and to try again. And um, yeah, God, I just pray that you would speak to me, speak to me today, speak through me today, speak to us, give us fresh um, revelation of you and of your kingdom. Um, Let us look at at that um, and this whole Jesus and uh, Easter story afresh today. So I'm reading from John 12, 12 to 19. I'm reading from the message version, partly because this was the only Bible I had in the car and didn't pack very well for this house sitting. But I also like this version. (laughs) The heading says, see how your king comes. It says, the next day, the huge crowd that had arrived for the feast heard that Jesus was entering Jerusalem. They broke off palm branches and went out to meet him, and they cheered, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in God's name. Yes, the king of Israel. Jesus got a young donkey and rode it, just as the scripture has it. No fear, daughter Zion, see how your king comes, riding a donkey's colt. The disciples didn't notice the fulfilment of many scriptures at the time, but after Jesus was glorified, they remembered that what was written about him matched what was done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead, was there giving eyewitness accounts. It was because they had spread the word of this latest God sign that the crowd swelled to a welcoming parade. The Pharisees took one look and threw up their hands. It's out of control. The world's in the stampede after him. So this is a pretty iconic moment, right? There's this groundswell building for Jesus. People are following him. They're treating him like a king coming in on a royal procession. And they're like, yes, finally, the guy we've been waiting for is here. So why in a couple of days does it change from Hosanna, woohoo, to crucify him? It's weird. So first of all, let's look at what were they actually expecting from him? What did they expect out of Jesus? You see, Israel had been waiting generations and generations and generations and generations for their Messiah to come and deliver them. And so they waited and they hoped and they prophesied. And from these prophecies, they thought that their Messiah would be a descendant of David, reign on the throne, rule with righteousness and justice, set the nations free, rule over Israel, shepherd Israel, crush all opponents under his feet. They're all true. That, that's tops. They had that right. And so the crowd lined the streets and they cheered for their long-expected king of Israel. I guess they kind of missed some of the bits, though, because when you read through the prophecies, like, it's pretty clear, like, yep, tick, tick, tick. Um, But they were hoping for a king that was going to lead them to a military victory against Rome and provide peace and prosperity for Israel, God's chosen people. And, yeah, like, Jesus could have just done that easily, but it would have been pretty underwhelming and we wouldn't be here talking about it today. Um, And kind of sounds a bit boring, but that's what they wanted. Um, God had bigger and better plans. And so there's this leading up and anticipation to some like big fight against Rome and Israel's freedom and rescue. 
but instead Jesus goes to war with something else entirely. But they were too hung up on the delivery that they needed right then and there. They missed the new life, the new story, the new thing that Jesus was ushering in and inviting them into. Sometimes we get caught up and we miss the main thing. Uh, About three years ago, Josh and I got engaged and I started planning my wedding the very next day. And I spent 11 months, sorry, we, our wedding... We spent the next 11 months planning this wedding. It was this fun project for us to do, to make perfect, this event that we were going to put on. It was going to be amazing. And everyone was going to turn up and be like, oh my gosh, this is the best wedding ever. And everyone was going to want to copy our wedding. Like we, everyone wants to copy Alicia and Diego's wedding. And the whole time people kept reminding me, like, just spend the money on things that actually matter, like don't spend a bunch of money on things that don't matter, like just remember like it's about getting married and I was like yeah, yeah, like I totally am, like blissfully, you know, still planning this huge thing. And it's March 2020 and it's the Tuesday before my wedding, our wedding, and I'm sitting at work in a meeting room and I get a call from the venue and she's like, I just got word that the government's about to announce that gatherings of over 100 people are cancelled, like banned. Um, So I'm really sorry, but like your wedding's cancelled. And I was like, just everything that we had been working towards, well, thought that I had been working towards for 11 months was just over, gone, crumbled. So I called Josh to tell him the bad news. And he's like, yeah, like that sucks. But we're getting married on Saturday. That's the point. Like, we're sign- we're- it doesn't matter what happens. If all we do on Saturday is sign the piece of paper and get married, then who cares? And so then I call Addie, who was my maid of honour, and she says the same thing. She's like, oh, don't worry. Like, we're getting you married to Josh. Like, it doesn't matter what else happens. We're getting you married. And so... I'm so thankful for Josh and for Addie for reminding me, finally, (laughs) what the main point was of that day. It wasn't about the big wedding. It was about beginning a marriage. And so sometimes we get caught up and we miss the main thing. The first century Jews were so caught up in the prospect of a Messiah with a political kingdom who crushed the opponent of their earthly oppressors and rule over Israel. They weren't so interested in a Messiah with a spiritual kingdom who would crush the opponent of sin and rule over every aspect of their hearts. And so they end up getting disappointed. And the crowd turns from worshipping Jesus to calling for his execution. And the crowd was following Jesus for the wrong reasons. And such faulty foundations will inevitably collapse. You see, I think understanding Jesus' identity and believing in who he really is will lead to eternal life. But false notions about who Jesus is and false hopes about what he will do for us in this life will most likely lead to disappointment and falling away from that faith that you initially had. And don't get me wrong, Jesus cares about the here and now. He was ushering in his kingdom here and now. He was meeting people's immediate needs. He fed the sick. 
He healed the sick. He fed the hungry. He brought close the marginalised. He raised people from the dead. But it wasn't the main event. It was a window into the main thing, the eternal thing. You see, he wasn't there to establish the kingdom that they wanted. He was certainly their deliverer, but from far more than just the Roman Empire. C.S. Lewis has this quote. He says, The forces of evil are most effective, the forces of spiritual evil are most effective when people either make too little or too much of them. And I wonder if the first century Jews thought too little of them. They thought they needed political salvation from this Roman Empire, but they really needed a spiritual salvation from their own brokenness. And this scene is often referred to as the triumphant entry or the the triumph of Christ. And it is definitely triumph indeed. But not Israel over their oppressors. Their king didn't arrive on a war horse and take power politically. Instead, their servant saviour, their prince of peace, rode in on a donkey. It's the triumph of humility over pride and worldly success and the lead-up to the triumph over sin and death. But their, their view of triumph was too small. Their view of victory was too small. Their view of Jesus was too small. And their view of the kingdom was too small. But our God is not small. God is not small. And I think that when we have a view of Jesus and what he wants to do that is too narrow, we're standing on a rocky foundation. We might be actually missing the point. And I think what really struck me and challenged me about this story is that when we come to worship Jesus with our own ideas about what the world is meant to be and how it's meant to look, we miss the opportunity to actually see through God's eyes. When we come to worship Jesus with our own idea of how things are meant to look, we miss the opportunity to see through God's eyes. Jesus is king. He's God's kind of king, the kind of king that God wants for the world. And thank God for that because humans don't have a very good track record of picking the right decision, the right leader, any of that. Uh, So we need Jesus to be in charge. Josh, you can come and play beautiful spiritual music. (laughs) Thanks. You see, I need Jesus' kingdom to be ushered in, not my own. It's about Jesus' kingdom and not my own. See, the kingdom of God isn't about what I want. It's about what God wants, and that is going to be infinitely better than anything I can think of. But I think it's really easy to look at this passage and look at the prophets and, and what they were saying about Jesus and wonder how these first century, century Jews could have possibly missed the point. I go through them like, yep, that happened, that happened, that happened. It's all hindsight. But I have no doubt that there are plenty of things in my life that I'm missing the point on in my attempts to follow Jesus every day. And so I need constant reminders of the cross, of the resurrection, of the point of it all, the significance. And so in these final days leading up to Easter, 
I want to ask Jesus to show me and to remind me of what the kingdom of God actually is. What kingdom is he actually establishing? And how do I be a part of that? Not the kingdom that I think, not the kingdom that's going to serve me best or what I want or what I think that I need. But God's kingdom. A kingdom where those at the bottom, at the back, forgotten, behind, move to the front of the line. A kingdom where instead of having to try and climb to be closer to God, where he comes down. Where instead of division and competition, there's unity. And so maybe you want to join me in that reflection as we lead up to Easter this week. To sit with that and to ask God to remind you or maybe show you for the first time. God, what does the kingdom you came to establish look like? And how do you want me to be a part of that? So Jesus, I thank you for this Easter story. I thank you um, that we get to hear it so often. And I pray that as we hear it again this year as Easter comes, that we wouldn't miss the significance of it, that we wouldn't miss the point of it, that we wouldn't gloss over the things that you want us to see. So God, I pray for more and more of your kingdom, less of the kingdom that I want to see, but may I make space for your kingdom, God. Help me to be a part of that. Amen. Amen.